So let's talk about James. Dancing Greek statues. <laughs> Had one and a half hour talk with him. No, he's, he's a master of control nuts inside of Sable Diffusion. And so. Elon Musk replied. Oh. James was like, we had to reply immediately back. It's how to talk to AI with your hosts. Go to go and west the synth Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, robots, and everybody in between, especially you, first-time viewers on YouTube. That's right, we got a live podcast, everybody. Welcome to HTTTA, How to Talk to AI. I am your host in the flesh, the synthbine Wes, and as always, I am joined by the gauche, the gracious, the globe-trotting, the galvanizing force of nature herself. Never ghastly, always graceful. The Miss Go to Go herself. Gee, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. You know, the audio, I'm always giggling with a huge smile. Yeah, amazing. Your introductions are fantastic. I'm excited about this video. Let's see how that goes. That's definitely something new. Yes, indeed. Well, not uh, entirely new. You have a little more experience in this realm than me. Yeah, but it doesn't get easier. So right to that, hey, let's jump right in. I recall a few months back, you did a video on Runway ML's Gen 1 text-to-image generation. You want to just fill people in on kind of like your experience using that? Because we have some news that Gen 2 is out now. Right. So I tested Gen 1. I don't know if we talked about it, but my experience was that it was definitely not easy with Gen 1, but it was also beta version in Discord. Mm -hmm. So to get something consistent, like suddenly, for example, you're prompting something like a character and suddenly I would get a man with a beard. And I was like, is that trying to tell me something? But that being said, Gen 2 came out and that's definitely a little bit different right now. And everyone's yeah. now snapping fingers. It's so funny. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Runway is offering on their website a little tutorial video on how to use Gen 1. And I think some of the flow, some of the content is even more compelling. And you see what's the difference because now I think on the paid version, because I tried free, I'm going to check out paid one too. But there's like sliders, the important part with like connectivity with the footage that you prompt if you see all these videos they are all based on original footage so you mm -hmm. upload a video and then you have a slider on how much of that video it takes as a reference point this is like in a stable diffusion you know when you control opacity of how much image is influencing your final image mm -hmm. versus text prompt okay i think what is driving this type of results that you can actually see faces and body structures or even fingers more accurate as if you just prompt it you have to have like a video as a reference so that's a, a kind image of to image video to video something mm -hmm. to kind of give the the model Based. yeah some some lifting and you know what that i will say in prior image generations where i'm looking for very specific details someone's holding something a specific way the lighting conditions need to be such a way. I know in mid-journey stable diffusion, you could do an image sample in addition to your prompt. And oftentimes the model just goes, okay, I, I got it. That, that helps me, you know, not try to have to figure everything out. You know, it's interesting because with AI video, it's kind of this two paths 
of the ones which are using video as a reference of you and kind of overlaying whatever you want. And another one is this AI-generated avatars where you take the image or the model trained on your realistic images and then you feed the text. It's two different directions of the control of the output. I mean, it's it seems like at some point you're going to have to like go, all right, I have to lean on the model to generate something compelling. But I also, as a director, as a producer, as the person creating this, I have a specific vision and I do need some deterministic lever in the results to achieve that. I wanted to share with you this kind of back to reality experience. So let's talk about James. Dancing Greek statues. Mm-hmm. Had one and a half hour talk with him. He's an amazing artist and we were just geeking out. He was like, I didn't know that you're painting. He went on my Instagram. Check out last two weeks newsletters for a little bit more James's work from episode nine and, and some of Goda's art that we just talked about last week. Right. So, so we kind of like bonded in this artistic style and he's just, yeah brilliant and it's so amazing to hear you know that his work took off like that but then i was showing his work to everybody this is just how i was just like you have to see this and we showed it to our family the parents parents in law we were like we watched it and they're like okay it's nice animation and i was like you don't understand this is not animation just and so. Elon Musk replied, oh, and yeah. they, he, James like, we had to reply immediately back. But I, we don't know if Elon Musk saw the, you know, his version, because we did with Elon Musk face on it. Yep. You know, that's some good coverage. Elon liked our little video. This is our, our pal James. We've talked about him for a couple of weeks now. He's, he's a master of control nuts inside of Stable Diffusion and just so many possibilities. Such, such fun stuff, too. And as we say often on here this these kind of things they're only going to get better this is the worst they'll ever be and they're already compelling his stuff has been viewed in the last two three weeks over 200 million times but going back to this kind of you know stepping outside of the ai bubble it is interesting to me how the outside world perceives these things because when at the end of the day there is going to be value attached to that right yeah so while we are geeking out and we're like oh my god like i will just pay you as much as possible i want something like that the public sees this, as we said, oh, nice animation, as it's like some sort of just, I don't know, Premiere Pro package overlay. That's yeah. the only frame of reference they have. I don't know. For me, that was kind of interesting insight because, yeah, at the end of the day, these things will be generalized and actually made available. So, you know, not to minimize the quality and value of James' work, but I also... Because of that, I saw, I think, two apps popping up saying that, oh, I just upload your video and it, we generate AI video. And it is this just kind of, it is this visual effect applied to it. I really don't believe that they run the whole thing. Because when we talked with James, like, if people think that this is just like one click prompt easy, so wrong. Not right now. No, it is so much work, so much iteration. And it costs a lot of money just to run these things. No one has a concept of for, for every frame of those little clips of James. If it's running at 60 frames a second, which some of those are because they're pretty smooth, you know, seven second video, that's hundreds and hundreds of frames that individually need to be rendered and stitched together. So unless you have a pretty beefy GPU or paying for some cloud server, horsepower, 
Yeah, or both. That takes an inordinately long amount of time. So talking about GPUs. We could definitely talk about GPUs. I guess to transition to that, my video I did about Midjourney, where founder was talking about these two futures of AI. Did you? I I'm, hope you no, watched it. Don't tell of me. course, of course, I watched oh, your, your video. Yes, of course, I am a natural professional. <laughs> That's one of the like older ones, but interesting thing he had this mention of GPUs, and he was saying there's two realities. One is that to scale anything. We are just bound by physics as a first principle, just as a data centers and chips that we can produce physically. And it will take us seven years to scale. And that was a, that is a reason why Midjourney is not marketed. Yeah. You're not going to see ads for Midjourney or like a, Hey, there is an app for Midjourney because there's simply no ability to scale to sustain such a user base. But when he talked about different path, if we invent new chips or new abilities or integrate neural nets and chips it's out of my domain knowledge but and then he said that if this happens then we scale in a year yeah so think what the the craziness what's happening right now and then if there is next technological breakthrough in the physical department the hardware well speaking of hardware let's talk yeah since we're talking chips and it is kind of wild to think about like you know that's why gpt4 is constrained in terms of like how fast it generates it's literally the compute. So what's starting to take place is a lot of these big companies are completely rethinking how compute happens. You know, I'm sure people, while they may not know the ins and outs of it, you can conceptualize that all of our stuff, our websites, the apps be like clouds, they're running in these big data centers. These data centers are power hungry and inside of each one of these servers is essentially a different type of computer that is CPU centric, right? It has a central processing unit. So one of the things that gets inefficient about these is they spend as much time kind of moving around data as they do actually like computing, like doing computations. So that tends to tax and take longer for processes to take place. But with the onset of some of these generative AI technologies, NVIDIA, who's the world's leading chip maker, has just put out, it's totally worth the YouTube watch, even if you don't, geek out a bunch of this hardware stuff. It is pretty incredible in terms of some of the things they demo. So this is the Brace Hopper supercomputer, AI supercomputer. It's a basically a singular GPU the size of a school bus, 150 miles of fiber optic cable inside of it. But this singular row of servers, granted it's a lot of servers, are GPU based. So it uses something to the tune of like a 44th of the amount of power that to achieve the same level of compute as these, this GPU server would, it would need 45 times more power in our conventional servers right now. So you can get way more cost-effective bang for your buck, so to speak, train a generative image model, train a language model in fractions of the time, just because of how efficiently this can handle. Like this is a 140 terabytes of GPU compute power that is all running in series. So it works as one. These are the kind of things that when all these data center transformations happen, not only will we be able to use AI like we want to, these are the kind of things that you need to say, okay, computer, supercomputer, we've got 20 of these chained together, please cure all diseases for us. And they just can start processing these huge, inconceivably large problems. I was listening to you 
This is fascinating. But I was checking stock price of NVIDIA. It definitely shot <laughs> up. And what sad part is yesterday I was like, I need to buy some shares of NVIDIA. And then something happened. And, and this is a thing because it's on mobile. So it's almost like, oh, yeah, let me No, Now it sounds bad. It's not like you are just casually buying shares. But I think NVIDIA is the place where it makes sense. They already control something like 85% of the, the GPU chip Mass market. capitalization, which is dangerous. It is. It totally is. And I think there's going to be antitrust stuff coming down the pike eventually that, you know, Microsoft had to face the same thing when they were, you know, this huge software company in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. You're going to have this AI arms race that no doubt is going to emerge between these big players like Microsoft, like Google, like Meta, but they all still need this compute. So this huge new GPU central server that NVIDIA's invented and put together, it has something like six of these chips inside of each server blade. The chips cost $200,000 each, and there's over a thousand server blades inside of one of these exaflop machines. So that's not something that Anybody other than like Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies can even afford to have access to at this point. But considering we've already blown Moore's law out of the water with <laughs> some of the some of the level of innovations that are happening, you know, it's only going to get cheaper. I remember I saw this graph learning from history is always a good way to go and was looking at what happened with semiconductors and SaaS companies like, you know, big tech. That historically, SaaS companies are the ones who win and not the hardware. Yeah. But I think the NVIDIA case is interesting because as much as they are hardware controlling market, they are coming with their larger language models like Neo, yeah. right? So it's because we can really attack from all sides and do all these collaborations with the companies. It is even like scary to think. When we live in a world where all compute is in one company's hand. Totally crazy thing. But I, I got two computers right here in front of me. Both got NVIDIA GPUs in it. Right. Everything else is different and diversified. The GPUs are both NVIDIA. That's interesting. I just got Mac. So remember we were talking about if to get NVIDIA. And this one has M2. And I'm very happy with it. But yeah, yeah that's another thing. Like maybe Apple, especially with their you know, Vision Pro and how much compute, but that's completely two ball games. NVIDIA is on the whole other racetrack. And what's always made Mac run so efficiently is since they are developing the silicon and the software in that case, they are able to develop processes, system architectures that run super efficiently on their chips. So they're able to kind of optimize both things you know, so in many instances, an M2 chip does some of the same things that a big beefy GPU could do for machine learning purposes. But it's only going to enable more creativity, more problems being solved. It's an exciting thing to think about. You know, on this kind of mass global power, now with Sam Altman and, you know, the leaders of AI Labs on Traffic Cloud, they're on this world tour, yeah. or some of them. And you see these pictures, and every time we see it, Sam Altman meeting some leaders of our presidents or prime minister, those looks like he's a president now. He Didn't you? It wields, to you? He wields I, a lot of power. Yeah, and when you look at in this picture, you're like, who in this picture is actually the man of power now? Yeah. Speaking of power, 
one of the things that <laughs> is is an interesting kind of discussion point as we're talking about more efficient GPUs and chips and all the things that run behind the scenes to, you know, enable these really wonderful AI technological innovations. I didn't realize this week, I think it also came out in one of the talks that Sam Altman's a big investor into fusion power research mm -hmm. and maintains, even talked about a little bit, some of the recent talks this week, we'll link a few in the uh, description of the newsletter, talked about how to achieve things like GPT-5, 6, 7, where you're going to need just so much compute, not only to train, but then to run it, let everybody run it. It's going to need fusion power to achieve. So, you know, getting to a point where it's a tenth of the cost of any energy and then we can make enough of them to go around the world is pretty incredible prospect. And, you know, it's been a promise of, I've heard it my whole life, fusion's 30 mm -hmm. years away or 40 years away. You know, it's going to happen in the future. But a lot of things that I hear when time I, it comes up, it's like five years away. Right. It kind of gives me an idea that what Sam Altman is not part of or invested. WorldCoin, like scanning your eyeballs, universal basic income. Mm -hmm. And probably list goes on. It's incredible. The power dynamics are very interesting. He'll be our main ambassador to the AI overlords later on. But on the flip side, there is, you know, again, if we look at historically, first movers in the market are not necessarily the ones leading the market at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm kind of always w running with that thought, but if it's not open AI, who is coming? Yeah. I will say, though, just having, you know, worked and been exploring the space for six months, there is something about the first mover advantage that's a little just kind of flipped on its head with some some of these things because people mm. are inventing and creating so much and stitching these AI technologies together to form innovative new products and solutions but at the end of the day it's to solve very similar problems that people can kind of conceive of themselves they can go oh I I see that I see that they're not using any they're all using the same technology all using the same language models okay so it's really not a game about whose tech is better it's about who can market it better so in, in a lot of instances yeah. i've seen you know just as long as you're kind of there to the table first with an idea that might be enough in some instances i'll give you an example as it relates to prompt engineering you know i happened to start selling some prompts on prompt base earlier this year right it really didn't start taking off till like march or april but what that's done because of things like Amazon and how we online shop before. Well, what do you do the first thing you do when you get on Amazon? Hey, you're looking for a toothbrush. Hey, let me sort by the five stars with the most sales, right? That's just like our condition. I want the best thing yes, that's out there. Yes, I do there, that all the time. Right? Read reviews, I'm right. obsessed. So <laughs> in something like this, like I feel like in some instances, I've unfairly benefited from that just because I had plenty of sales before this started taking off a little bit more. And... What do people do? Hey, what's the top selling in this category? All right. You know, by virtue of being to the table first, that probably benefits me, you know, in that, that instance, it doesn't, it doesn't for other things. And I would hope that the creators of prop base, some of these marketplaces do things to encourage new creators to, to put themselves out there. That makes me think I had this dilemma when I made the first videos going about ChatGPT and learn prompting and prompt engineering. And I remember there was this moment I just made a video about how ChatGPT works and explaining, you know, the model behind it. And it was 3.5. I released this video in a week and a half, whereas GPT-4. And I was like, oh, 
okay, so if I make a video about something which is happening, and this is the thing why I don't like to go news direction, mm-hmm. because your video is not relevant next week. Yeah. But, and I was thinking at the time, like, oh, I need to really, you know, think about videos which live long, very meaningful. The thing is that that video plus prompt engineering are getting views every single day, like the most. Hmm. And I'm like, in my world, I'm like, everyone knows already this. And yeah. I still read comments from people like, oh, I just discovered this. Wow, I didn't know this. And I'm like, it feels like not three months, but three years ago. And yeah. that just makes me think this is why, you know, I was sharing this story, bringing these AI tools outside of a bubble and actually getting real world perspective. You know, you have to see how the real world actually adapts this fix. It's still still trickling out there in yeah, some ways. And, and I think with ChatGPT, when I was doing, you know, this keynote in Embassy, three people came to me saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know it. I tried it. But I'm so just disappointed with the results. just so basic. Yep. And after my presentation, they're like, oh, so it cannot, like, you can actually control it and make it interesting and it can write in different things. And I was like, to me, it was like, yeah, of course. But people had tried and left it off. And I think it also happens with image tools. You can get very quickly discouraged. And I think this learning prompt engineering, that's why I think it's relevant and it's going to be relevant. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it kind of boggles my mind that some people don't necessarily see the possibilities of it. But I also, people come at this with different needs and different expectations, you know? Like, obviously, I'm coming at it from someone who's an avid consumer of anything electronic or technological. Mm -hmm. Does one need eight keyboards? My wife would say no, but I say otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time my dad tried ChatGPT. He's like, yeah, I put myself into it. Came up, didn't know anything about me. It's kind of milk toast. And I'm like, this is not how large language models work. Let me tell you about how it's only trained up till September 2021 and about hallucinations, you know, so basic uh, things you need to know. But like, but that's not on the front page at all. No, it's at the bottom, tiny letters. Yeah. This might be totally made up. Yeah. Not factual, wrong facts, information. Oh yeah. That's the whole other thing, you know, we we already talked about this, that there is certain level of responsibility when you drop a product like that to a mass market. Yeah. But no information what it is yeah. how it is nothing it's just like hey chatbot that's it but but i think some of it is like all right let's let people play around explore. with it and explore while the stakes are low as opposed to have this agi that's ready and then it just they drop it on us and there's this huge shift that needs to happen there's probably some value in it slowly granted how, how slowly can you say it's still the fastest growing app or service in history but, you know, it's still probably some value in letting it but kind who of values? trickle down. Who, yeah. who values from that? I mean, it's the, probably the altruism of our great ambassador overlord, Sam Altman, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and those kind of investors. I hope people learned one thing. Nothing on internet is free. Yeah. So if there is something free, it's not free. Like you are trading off different value. And I worked in big data analytics company. The amount people pay for data and especially investment banks, it's insane. 
it's yep. millions upon millions. So I think that's what people don't, don't realize that that just the volume of data from this type of usage that what you said it's a number one like yeah. most trending website or something like that it's literally vertical growth that's if you map it against anything else no. so I okay mean, but let's talk something prompting yes now that we're leading to that i wanted to share something with you coming back to the my past afterlife in architecture and design yeah i saw this design piece may it's foldable sofa which oh. can fit in the envelope mm-hmm. designed by ai it's studio 10 in copenhagen i actually know know the studio and i think i'm almost sure i've been there but anyway so it's developed closely with ikea so that you see this say. this modular system and it's around 10 kilos but the interesting thing that they went with first talking with ChatGPT. For example, one of them is saying, I actually wrote into ChatGPT, could a couch fit into an envelope? And of course it said no. And then we went to Midjourney and Delhi and we're spending like hundreds of prompts testing different words, terminology, and nothing worked really to achieve what they were looking for. And it was that you, on a sofa, you're not front facing like to the TV, but you're actually sitting in front facing each other. And the keyword which we discovered that actually led to that was conversation pit. Conversation pit. Right. So now we build it. See, I would think that something like that is product of a machine learning or a labeling AI where it takes in tons of different designs and analyzes it and goes, this is the most ergonomic way to do this, but it's from a language, a generative language model, just kind of mm-hmm. going, this is what I think it would look like. Yeah, but generative models is actually nothing new in our AI space, especially when you look in a parametric design. So this, like even when I was doing my bachelor thesis, I was actually using this grasshopper plugins in the Rhinos model to do parametric design. And then you can play with some generative design pieces, but the diffusion models is different. Yes. That's something new. And the generative AI, you, you have, in a way, you have more control because it's like more like real data based. And I could mm-hmm. be completely wrong. Like, this is just, you know, I'm kind of surface sliding through this topic right now. <laughs> but diffusion models in architecture for render are amazing. But when you want a real design vector based, because, you know, you need centimeter millimeter control of the dimensions that's kind of a different realm i'm keeping a close eye on what's happening in architecture space design because you know imagine like if it goes that route explosion another explosion there's there's a huge market and i've seen some things for people exploring it from prompting to some 3d design prompting to vectors no one has cracked it yet but you know, there's a few things I think we brought it up on the podcast before we have people that are doing generative AI via prompting to create assets for computer games that can be used inside of Unreal 5 Engine. I'll just see if I can find them right now, but I know there's a company that does text prompt to 3D STL model. So yeah. you can basically just type in a prompt and then have what you would need to 3D print it, you know, yeah. to throw it into the slicer and then, you know, put it through. Leonardo AI. 
for anybody looking for game development, like what the guys behind it, like I think I told you about Ethan, one mm-hmm. of the co-founders. We were, you know, back in the days before Leonardo, we were just geeking out in the Discord channels. It's in just incredible. It's I think they are reaching millions of users now in wow. such a short time. And that also makes me think a year ago, I made this video, which is who's going to build in metaverse, AI or architects. And in that video, I made completely like just, you know, going down the rabbit hole of this idea. I was like, in the future, you just prompt and say, I want the desert with flying buildings made of diamonds, whatever space. And boom, AI generates that 3D environment space for you. And now a year later, the AR space is generated by AI. That's coming down the pike. Back then, I remember when I wrote it, I was like, oh, probably people will be like, what she's talking about? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're every day, like I said, it must be what it felt like to see an airplane flying the sky for the first time. Something so divergent from your experiences up until this date. But like speaking of things that we haven't seen before, you know, a natural progression. We've talked about some text to video. We've talked about some of our friends that are, you know, some luminaries and thought leaders in the space. How long do you think it's going to be until we see a full-on prompted movie? Hmm. I think it's in the workings right now. Definitely. I mean, so this was setup question. You're like, you know it. Come on, I got an agenda here. We gotta, we just gotta try to be like you know professional podcasters here. Yeah. Okay. So I was more thinking about like full length cinema, but of course this piece from the frost is already like takes you a step back to think what is the future of animation. And not even animation. You know, I think, look, there, make no mistake, there's still some uncanny valley. Our brains are so used to looking at images of, you know, not at, well, images, we're just looking at other people. So anytime their face or hands are doing something that's not natural to what we're just used to seeing all the time, we notice it. So that's definitely apparent in these type of things too. But this is a 13 minute completely generated, you know, AI movie. And uh, we're going to include the link to it. But, you know, it, you could follow the narrative structure easily. That's not lost at all. And in, in some ways, you know, some of the choices they've made because of the current technological limitations could just be stylistic ones that, you know, might be said, Hey, we made this deliberately, this kind of blocky, chunky kind of movements and stuff like that. I'd still say like half of these shots, I think the, the human ones admittedly are hard, but like half of them are still like ones that, you know, I, I'd be like, all right, that, that'd be something I'd see in a movie. I want to kind of take the different camp on this one. Please do. Especially as a content creator and editor of my, my own videos. When you see the composition, the color grading, the transitions, because I, it was edited by a human, mm-hmm. the creative decisions of the storytelling of the scenes, the central composition, leading lines, all this matters were still decided by a human. Or if you tell me that this was completely just a prompt and the composition, the mood, like all these things are deliberately there, the color theory, and it's human who makes those decisions. But of course, for example, 
major and it makes incredible images and you can see this composition decisions just adapted. But do you think in this case, was it too? I mean, I think it probably was in a lot of instances, but you know, you're absolutely right. The true power here is when you have someone with expertise and creativity, you know, working alongside AI. Right now, some of these things, like this is not, they wouldn't pass for a Hollywood movie at this point, but it's not too far off. You know, it looks kind of like 80s or 90s special effects in some degree. So I'm not saying that it's not good, but I'm still one to think that final creative decisions is going to be made by human. Of or, or course, maybe if, maybe if we go like what I did a year ago and we say that, okay, in a year or two, the whole movies are going to generate it by AI. I think in Black Mirror episode, they teased this moment where you're watching kind of Netflix and you're seeing representation of yourself and the character is like, oh, it's like, she's just like me, talks like me, looks like me. So where did we got this data from? Well, kind of on the same vein as, you know, what we're discussing here about creativity and still needing to have that final creative decision. One thing I don't think we've brought up on the pod yet is we've touched, touched on it a little bit in terms of some of the legal implications for these, these generative models, what they've been trained on. And, uh, if folks aren't aware, there's, you know, it's, it's going to be a fight in a lot of different ways. And the, the first one that's going to be the waging the war doing the battle is stable diffusion. This article right here is back from February, but, um, just in the past week, they released that this is going to trial, but uh, I mean, Getty Images suing Stable Diffusion for the like landmark amount of 1.8 trillion, the largest lawsuit ever for the 12 million images that they claim were in the sample database. And they're claiming damages of 150 grand per image. Yeah. And oh my God, we can dive into this because I was looking into this training data model, which was yeah. Stable Diffusion bot which is lion it's called yeah. and the, we will include in the newsletter there is a link where you can actually upload and check if what is the chance that your image was used in the training data but the amounts are staggering and yeah. it's known that they did use this data right and just interesting that i read somewhere that there was shutterstock and get images was striking a deal with these to get mm-hmm. you know to get paid and right. it just looks to me like that deal maybe didn't go through. And with the sentiment from art community, we just went full on. If you go in a law case and you say like, yeah, none of the images, new produced images actually have exactly, exactly copy of your image. And it's a tricky argument they are using, you know, but there is an easy solution to that. What's that? Just d- d- develop like a coordinate system or metadata system or like, you know, licensing or copyright thing in the image and just define the radius that, okay, there is a certain spectrum. Everything is spectrum. Nothing is like just Mm -hmm. true or not. So if my image and the spectrum, the images get close to my style, to, to my original image, I get a royalty. I mean, from free open source model. (laughs) It's not quite that simple because no, when you, when you look at that, when you look at that globe there, right? That is an undirected network. What that means in network science context, it's not like you start with one thing and it makes these decisions linearly. The way these diffusion models work is they not only can identify 
what images are. They understand how they interact with each other. So it won't necessarily be this linear decision of, okay, we used a little bit from this sample image, then went over here and used some of this, then came back to this, this neighborhood of cluster, you know, and on the way we had to fill in some stuff that we, we didn't have any samples for. It's more so it just kind of does it all at once. So I think that mm. still being able to track it in a way that's methodical, where you can even say that like, hey, 75% of this is, is the same. Well, all right, let's use that argument. So say that's the case. If I'm not mistaken, I am no legal expert, but I found this kind of surprising in my beloved country to the north, Canada, with my understanding that for using a, a trademark logo, for example, if you make one change to that logo, change one color, add something that is now mm. a derivative and it's a separate thing. Yeah, so if true. something is 75% the same, and but 25% different, that's a derivative. Yeah. And this is absolutely true. And I'm looking at the, another law case, which Actually, this artist, Carol Hindsmith, and this was in 2016. She sued back then Getty Images for one billion because they were using her images and actually sent her. This is a funny story. She didn't win. But the funny story is they sent her a bill for license, but she's using license of her own work illegally. And this is how she found out that they've been stealing her work for years and licensing and charging people. And now we try to charge author herself. Oops. Yeah. Well, so what, so she went like 1 billion damages. Man. Didn't we need, have, we need to have a lawyer on here. Just, I want to, uh, it's such interesting decisions. I'm hopeful, but also the people that are going to be making these decisions around the world are not of our generation of conquer. I mean, these are people that may not even be able to conceive and understand and have an appreciation for some of these things. So, I mean, I don't envy them, but it's going to be very challenging kind of decisions and complexities to, to sort through. I'm just through, running but. in my mind about like all the network of legal. Even if I know a lawyer, I would be like, does this lawyer know the intricacies of this? Yeah, this we is need an so AI lawyer. new. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, we have a contact in the patent department. So now I'm thinking that would be interesting conversation. But yeah, yeah we will be bringing up guests. We have a lot of a lot more of that on the horizon in future weeks of filmed video HTTTA. So I think with that, this is a good enough place to call it quits for the week. So for go to go, I am Wes the Synthline saying happy prompting everybody. Happy prompting everybody. Thanks for listening to How to Talk to AI with your hosts, GoToGo and Wes the SynthMind. As always, you can check out the show notes and links at howtotalkto.ai. That's all for this week's episode. Happy prompting, everyone.